When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme with Bernie taking calls at 0818103103. You can text and WhatsApp the programme as well to 0862103103. And it does kind of feel like the country is in mourning. And to be honest, there's not many news stories or announcements of a death that literally felt like it stopped the country in its tracks yesterday and everybody reacting with such great sadness at at the loss of one of our greatest singer-songwriters ever and that is uh, Sinead uh, O'Connor and you know she was a troubled soul I think whenever we saw her being interviewed she was very honest herself about her own struggles with uh, mental uh, health and I just when I heard the news yesterday my initial thoughts were obviously with her family and and we, we express deep, deep condolences uh, to her nearest and dearest who obviously will miss her the most. But I really just hope that Sinead O'Connor realised how much of us, not just here in Ireland, but indeed around the world, absolutely loved her. And that was reflected in the outpouring following the news of her death on all different social media platforms uh, yesterday. Because, I mean, she wasn't just a great singer and a great songwriter but she was always also a great Irish woman and she was very proud uh, to be Irish and she really spoke out, spoke out particularly for women and she spoke out about the injustices that had happened uh, in uh, Ireland and if you think back she was the one to speak out against the Catholic Church when nobody else was speaking out against the Catholic Church and she was calling out the church for the uh, for the concealment of abusive children and people at the time thought oh she's making all of that up and nobody was believing her and, and how right she was but she certainly was uh, one of the first and of course she also was very honest in speaking about her own childhood uh, traumas. She she really uh, had a very tough upbringing with her mother who you could only describe as living in an abusive household and, and she wrote very honestly about her mother 
and the abuse that she had received from her mother in her book Rememberings. You know, I remember one of the stories that she spoke about uh, and and it seemingly used to happen regularly was the mother would take the pole off the carpet sweeper. Remember the old fashioned uh, carpet uh, carpet sweeper and hit her uh, with that and then she'd lock her under the stairs and she kept, she wouldn't leave her out until uh, Sinead kept repeating I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing and she got her to almost chant it. She wanted it to get it into her head that she was nothing. Now she certainly went on uh, to prove her mother wrong when you look at the success that she subsequently had but you wonder uh, that growing up with that kind of an abuse it has to and it does have an effect on the adult uh, Sinead and then I suppose she went through life really on a quest to try and find uh, love she was married four times and she had four children all of which she absolutely uh, idolised but of course it was in January of last year January of uh, 2022 that she suffered the devastating blow with the death of her 17-year-old son who sadly uh, took his own uh, life and he had been missing for a few days and she had been uh, putting things up on social media trying to connect with him trying to get him to go to a guard the station because he was battling his own mental health um, issues and in a social media post then uh, when he was found she confirmed that her beautiful son who she described as the light of her life had decided decided to end his earthly struggle. And funnily enough, in in her what now looks like was her last tweet only last week, uh, Sinead posted a photograph of Shane and he, she said he was the love of my life, the lamp of my soul. And she has spoken in the past about death and she said she believed there is some source to which we all go back. She said, I don't know what that is. It's hard for those left behind, all right, because you miss the person you love. But I think the person who's gone is actually peaceful. And her wish was, when I leave my life as an old lady, I hope that every successive record will have shown me more and more at peace and more and more joyous. And unfortunately, at the age of 57, she hasn't uh, made it uh, to live to be an old lady. And I suppose all that we can hope for now is that she has found that peace that she really fought so hard to find. But she had the most amazing career. It's a career that has spanned five uh, decades. She released 10 studio albums. The most recent was the I'm Not Bossy, I'm the Boss that was released back in 2014. And last year saw the release of a film about the singer's life and career called Nothing Compares. And I have a funny feeling that last week I saw that advertised and it's going to be shown on Sky either this weekend or early next week. I'll I'll check that, but I'm I'm sure Sky are about to uh, show it. And this would have been before they they were planning to show it before her um, sad death uh, yesterday. And one of her last public appearances, I'm sure, was back in March of this year, because obviously following Shane's uh, death last January, she cancelled all of her live shows. She said at one stage that she would never sing again. And there was very little seen of her, certainly from a public appearance uh, point of view. So in March of this year she did make an appearance at the RTE Choice Music uh, Prize and she was there to accept an award for Best Irish Classic Album and that was her 1990 release I, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got 
And on that particular appearance, she took the opportunity to, as she always did when she got the chance, to put a spotlight on others. And she said on accepting the award, she said, I want to dedicate it to each and every member of Ireland's refugee community, not just the Ukrainian ones, all of them. And you're very welcome to um, Ireland. And that was typical of Sinead uh, O'Connor, even accepting the award. It wasn't about her. She was uh, just concerned about other people. And going through all of the newspapers uh, today, every one of them carrying uh, front page stories and the most exquisite photographs of Sinead O'Connor because it was only as I was going through photographs of her, you just realised what the accept, what an exceptional beautiful woman uh, she was and I don't know whether she realised it or not. The Irish Examiner are carrying just a striking image of Sinead on their front uh, page and in their obituary they describe her as a child of Ireland, our girl Sinead our beloved uh, friend and it's this really truly haunting black and white photograph on the front of the Examiner. The Irish Independent dedicating its full front page to Sinead, black and white image of her wearing a ring and if you look closely at the ring the ring has the word mum uh, on it and they just have uh, simply Sinead 1966 to 2023 the Irish Daily Mail talk about her as vulnerable powerful and pure on the front page and they talk about uh, on the front page they say a mesmerising talent who bared her soul and took on the world. The Irish Daily Star carries four images of Sinead on the front page, including one of her, the one where she ripped up the photograph of the uh, Pope when she was on Saturday Night Live. And they have Sinead, rebel with an angel's voice. So they're describing her on the front page. And nothing compared to you. That's the Irish Daily Mirror in an odd, obviously, to her famous uh, song on the front page, entirely taken up with a black and white photograph of her from her younger uh, years. And the Irish Times also going with a black and white photograph of her. And this was a photograph taken on the stage of the, Olym- the Olympia Ballroom back in 1998. And they describe singer had a unique voice and a take no prisoners defiance and that's that is true and it isn't just the Irish papers even looking across the waters all of the UK papers all paying tribute to Sinead on their front page uh, including for example the Daily uh, Mirror and the Daily Star they both opt for the same kind of a headline over a picture of uh, Sinead referencing simply nothing uh, compared and then here at home huge outpouring of uh, tributes from a lot of famous people along obviously as well as a lot of fans of uh, Sinead O'Connor but the tributes I feel were led off from the country's point of view by our own president Michael D Higgins who in a statement started by sending condolences uh, to Sinead O'Connor's father John remember her dad is uh, still alive and to the other members of her family and all those with whom she shared her life Uh, Michael D Higgins said my first reaction on hearing the news of Sinead's loss was to remember her extraordinary beautiful unique voice what was striking in all her the recordings she made and in all her appearances was the authenticity of the performance while her commitment to the delivery of the song and its meaning was total. He said what Ireland has lost at such a relatively young age is one of our greatest and most gifted composers, songwriters and performers of recent decades. One who had a unique talent and an extraordinary connection with her audience, all of whom held such love and warmth for her. The Thetic Leo Varadkar paying tribute said her music was loved around the world and her talent was unmatched and beyond compare. 
He then went on to express condolences to her to her family. Thonish Simiho Martin said he was devastated to hear of the passing of uh, Sinead uh, O'Connor. He wrote on Twitter, she was one of our greatest musical icons and somebody deeply loved by the people of Ireland and uh, beyond. And then uh, Dave Fanning paid an emotional tribute. And when I heard Dave Fanning was going to pay a tribute, I was saying, please get this one right when you think about what happened with uh, Christy Dignam. Anyway, uh, he went on to say she made the Prince song one of the greatest love songs songs of all time um, with her 1999 cover of Nothing Compares to You and I'd have to I don't often agree with Dave Fanning but I'd agree with him on that and one of uh, Sinead's former talent managers is a guy by the name of Steve Zapp. He's of the International Talent Booking and he said she was one of the most talented and inspiring people he had ever made. And then friends and colleagues and admirers from the world of entertainment all reacting to the sad news. American musician Bear McGreary said he was working on new songs with uh, Sinead that now will never be uh, complete. And it was lovely to see the band Aslan, who's of course lead singer Christy Dignan, only, only died a few weeks ago. Uh, they shared a post on Facebook that simply read, two legends taken from us so closely together. No words. Rest in peace, uh, Sinead. And on Facebook, River Dances, Michael Flatley wrote, Dear Sinead, I pray your troubled soul is at peace. May you sing now with the angels in uh, heaven. An American rapper and actor, Ice T, said Sinead O'Connor had stood for something. In a Twitter post, he wrote, Respect to Sinead. She stood for something unlike most people, rest uh, easy. And actually I also spotted that uh, the former Late Late Show host Ryan Tuberty, who hasn't obviously been doing much on social uh, media since all the controversy broke about his uh, payments, but he took to uh, Twitter, or took to social media yesterday saying he was absolutely devastated by the awful uh, news. Uh, it's such a sad, sad loss for this country. Rest in peace, Sinead O'Connor. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now from next September through a combination of six HSE fertility hubs and outsourcing to private clinics, eligible women can have free publicly funded fertility treatment in this country. So to discuss what is on offer and to who and will it be enough, I'm joined by Helena Tuberty. Now Helena has worked in the area of fertility coaching for 35 years and she also worked as a midwife. Good morning to you, Helena. Good morning, Patricia. Yeah. Thank you for having well, me. Well, you're to talk about this subject. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, offering this service for free, firstly, is that long, long overdue in this country? We've had IVF in this country for 27 years, so I don't think we are rushing into it by any stretch of anyone's imagination. We are the laggards in Europe. And there are couples who literally could not afford to go down the route of private fertility absolutely treatment. Absolutely not. The ballpark cost of IVF, it really starts at about six and a half thousand euro. You must include medications. You cannot do IVF without medications. And, you know, there's a little bit of uh, tax back, maybe sometimes with insurance, but so very little, it's negligible. And one cycle generally is not enough. Um, You know, IVF is not an exact science. It's actually quite an art. It depends on how somebody's system responds, how ovaries respond. And we must bear in mind as well, you know, our families are changing shape because we have more same-sex couples, solo intended parents. And the expense idea also that 
you know, parents who already have a child and they may have privately funded their own IVF to have that beautiful child and they'd like to have another child quite naturally, they're looking to be excluded from this. Yeah, I suppose, talk first about what we know so far of who will be eligible for this free IVF treatment. So we are looking at people who, um, you know, have no um, previous child in this relationship. Okay. Um, We're looking at people, there's certain BMI exclusions, um, people who have, um, you know, need to have gametes, need to have donor egg or donor sperm, they look set to be excluded. Now, the I guess the caveat as well is that, you know, I welcome this initiative hugely, obviously, and it is still evolving. And these rules are not set in stone. They, you know, it will be under medical guidance, medical advisory um, from, you know, fertility hubs, But what I really am looking for is that people aren't frightened because I have, you know, I've done um, an Instagram poll just uh, a couple of nights ago and I've been inundated with, you know, the absolute fears and concerns and questions. Will it affect us? Will we be eligible? You know, what is in it for us? Why can't we have it? So it's incredibly important to know that it is not completely definite yet. Um, It is evolving It does look a little bit stark when you look at, you know, BMI under 30, when you look at women's age restrictions, 41, you know, and that the age restriction for men is, is, uh, you know, it's up to 60. And men's fertility does decline as well. And they really don't seem to be looking at that very important part of the fertility equation, optimizing men's fertility health. Now, you know, IVF, and fertility treatment are not optional cosmetic extras. They're not chosen by anybody for the fun of it. They're very serious. The emotional toll of IVF is the same as receiving a cancer diagnosis. It's self-managed. It's very private. It's often hidden. It can affect work performance. It can, you know, going for promotions, planning anything. Life is on hold. And outcomes are so uncertain. There are literally no guarantees across the board. Yeah, because I only spoke a few weeks ago uh, with a lady who was who was talking us through her uh, fertility uh, journey. And that was one of the things she spoke about was the fact that when when a woman or when a couple are going through fertility treatment, it is very secretive almost and it's not shared and people don't talk about it. Is that something that we need to change in society? Do we need to be more open about talking about it? It, I notice, I mean, I do quite a lot of corporate talks. There are fertility policies happening. Um, I'm hoping that they may be more than tick box exercises. And there is a sense now of being able to approach line managers and, you know, people actually sharing their own stories. The stigma, I think, is lessening, but very, very slowly, Patricia. Yeah. And, you know, the personal, you know, the sense of it, you don't ask, as a client of mine who's actually just been in Prague having her IVF, she said, well, you don't actually ask people, you know, have you guys done the deed on Saturday? You yeah. know, have you had a positive fertility uh, test, a positive pregnancy test? You know, so it is, you know, by its nature, it is private yeah, and yeah, intimate. And yeah. between a couple or, you know, individuals, whatever way they're doing it. So I think, um, 
you know, we need to be aware that it is a global problem, that it is increasing and its circumstances often beyond an individual's control. Sperm counts are dropping worldwide. There's a vast difference over the last 40 years, as research clearly demonstrates. So it is not that people are forgetting to have children or focusing on their careers and having a great time. It really is not. It's more of a public health issue that we need to address and get right from the start. So, for instance, I really am advocating for a very effective regulatory authority like the one HIFA that they have in the UK since about, ooh, let me see, they've had that for about you know 25 years, to oversee, to standardise, to regulate the whole process right across the board so that somebody in Cork or Donegal will get exactly the same standard of treatment and that things won't be missed, and that both parties of a couple, if it is a couple, will get proper evaluation, investigation, diagnosis, and the level of expert skill that is required in areas like endometriosis and recurrent miscarriage. I mean, this is what I see in my practice every single day, Patricia, is people with harrowing stories of shifting, changing clinics, getting better care, getting you know investigations done after failed cycles. So we really must standardise it. And I think this um, is looking a little bit like the cart with its slightly square wheels has gone way ahead of the poor horse. Uh, yeah, and, and you also mentioned about the fact that the scheme will only offer one round of IVF and, and, and you're disappointed with that. In other countries, do you know, do they offer more than one free round? In Israel, you can have eight or nine. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the other extreme. Like, okay. you know, and that, put, that puts its own pressures as well. I've clients who, you know, said, oh, gosh, you know, um, sometimes there is a time to stop. Um, and this can put vast pressures, people having four or five IVFs within a year, which is, you know, absolutely horrendous on a physical system, on, on the emotional aspect. But generally speaking, we really should be looking at perhaps, you know, three, four, five, because... You know, the fertility clinics will say, quite honestly, that it can take up to six cycles. Now, the other thing that I would say is IVF is not a silver bullet. It is not a first port of call. Everything else, the fertility ducks need to be in a row medically and in a fertility way so that there is the best chance if IVF is actually the right treatment if it's needed. Medical restorative fertility treatment is unbelievably effective. It may appear a little bit slower, but it is looking at a couple and it is remedying any deficits in either system. So it's bringing, you know, the rising tide is, is helping to float those boats. It is a very good workhorse. And, you know, even that as preparation for IVF, a lot of people think, you know, I'll just go and have my IVF. And, and that'll be, be it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's not the case. So not like that. Sure talk, talk to me about the BMI um, under 30. What is their thinking on that? Traditionally, BMI has been, you know, the sense that uh, people who are overweight have perhaps more inflammatory conditions that can affect the quality of egg and sperm. Now, I was recently at a conference in Philadelphia, Jefferson, an infertility conference, and we were actually discussing the very thing about BMIs. And what came across very strongly is that BMI is not a most incredibly useful indicator after all. Now, I do understand, you know, the caveat, the sense that each case does need to be evaluated and there, you know, there does need to be a limit on who can uh, be included. But it, I'm hearing a lot of fear 
I'm a little bit overweight. I've always carried a little bit of weight. Mm. My BMI is kind of, you know, comfortably up. And, you know, generally speaking, I have delivered many women whose BMIs would have been kind of at the upper end who've not had any problem with gestational diabetes and delivered perfectly healthy babies naturally and easily. So, you know, each case on its individual merits and to lose the fear of the BMI thing. I think what they're thinking is, you know, healthy parents, healthy habits, healthy lifestyle for a healthy baby. So, you know, it is um, it is a factor, but it's not the factor for exclusion. OK, and somebody else says, would would um, Helena like to have seen an upper age that the 41 seems young enough? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, when you look at guys, you know, 60 years of age, oh, you know, men's fertility is declining. Yeah. Uh, we think it's static like Picasso and all these, you know, giving a great or Robert De Niro and having babies, you know, quite at, at advanced ages. But men's fertility is declining and uh, the risk actually of miscarriage is increased with a father's age. Um, that can be remedied sometimes with a very young egg, which does a lot of DNA repair in actual fact. So if there's a massive age discrepancy, uh, blokes can really benefit from that. Um, but the sense that... Um, you know, to be a father at that age and women who are perfectly healthy. And as you know, nowadays, people are more active. They're eating better. They're, they're very much aware of general health. But a woman who is that age, um, you know, into her mid-40s can have an incredibly healthy pregnancy. Now, you know... And many the do. Su- yeah, the rates of success of IVF. Now, I can also see the other side of this in a balance, that um, the rates of IVF success do fall considerably over the age of 40. There is no getting away from that. But again, I would say that if everything is in place and everything is done to bring somebody up to a certain level, the chances of IVF success are greatly increased. For instance, my work, you know, the mind-body area, research really clearly shows that that can double IVF success rates. And that's why I do what I do okay. for so long. All right, listen, um, it's it's a step, as you say, in the right direction. It started, but I think there is more, hopefully more to come for so many women because I know there's seemingly already a surge in re- referrals uh, to the HSE because I think women are watching a clock ticking as well and they're trying to get their referrals in. Helena, listen, it was a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for that and thanks for Thank joining you, us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Helena uh, Tuberty, who is an expert in uh, fertility and has been for many, many years. 0818 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. Now, following a motion from a Fianna Fáil councillor, Cork County Council has now agreed to write to the Road Safety Authority and the Department of Transport requesting that they use every means possible to reduce the current waiting times for driver's licence. To discuss why he's raised the issue, I'm joined by councillor Seamus McGrath. Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks for having me on. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Now, what kind of waiting times for the driving test are you hearing about at the moment? Yeah, well, it certainly varies across the country, Patricia, but in, in my own my local area, I'm hearing, you know, six, seven, eight months uh, waiting time. And I think in other parts of the country, it's even longer than that. Um, so, it, you know, it's totally unacceptable length of time for anyone to be waiting for a driving test, I suppose purpose of the motion was to just highlight this issue once again. It is something I'm trying to raise politically myself, but I think it's important that these issues are raised in the council chamber and, you know, with the weight of the council chamber 
then raising an issue to the department and the RSA, it just it just helps highlight the argument even further. Um, it, it, it's unacceptable. It has an enormous impact on people's lives. It impacts on a whole family. As you know, if you have a son or a daughter um, who you know are, are ready to take the test but haven't got a date for the test, they, they, they then cannot drive independently. They have to drive with a full license holder. So that means you know they're not able to carry about their business, like going to college, going to, to work. Uh, and so on like that. So it has it has an enormous impact. And only only this week I actually saw someone advertising themselves for for an apprentice. They were saying, look, you know, interested in doing an apprentice in a certain trade. And one of the first replies was, are you driving? And he said, no, I'm waiting on my test. Wow. So, you know, it, it has... It has such a yeah, huge implication. Yeah, in it does. On, it, on, it does, on, and that could stop that young person actually taking up an apprentice. I'm, I mean, to hear you say six, seven, even eight months. I mean, I was checking on the RSA yesterday. They set a target that people would wait no longer than ten weeks. We're, yeah, we're nowhere that, near that. We're nowhere near that. You're correct. That is the target. No, to be perfectly honest, I think that target is 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 too is too long as well. Ten weeks is too long to have to wait for a simple thing like a driving test, but. But look, we'd all grab that right now because the delays are far, far longer than that. Um, and, and it's absolutely the case. And I suppose it came to me through constituents contacting us saying, look, is there anything you can do? I'm waiting. I'm going to have to wait six, seven, eight months for a test. And, you know, the truth of the matter is there is very, very little we can do as public representatives other than highlight the overall issue, which is what we're trying to do now. Um, because this isn't good enough now. To be fair, look, I know there are efforts being made to try and address this. Uh, there, there is funding being made available to recruit additional testers and so on. But the information from the RSA and the department is that it will be well into next year before we see the backlog, you know, being chipped away. Oh, at. That's and crazy. It's crazy. That, that, just... that, that's very disappointing. Yeah. You know? no, I, I, I suppose we have to acknowledge it is a hangover from COVID as well. Obviously, tests backed up during COVID. They haven't got on top of that yet. And, and we're still dealing with that. And that does apply to a number of services out there, unfortunately, that they're still dealing with that backlog. But at the same time, I, I just think all means possible need to be used to try and address this. And during the debate, I suppose there were some ideas put forward. You know, people suggested, for example, that driving instructors would have a role in this. Yeah. And um, that they, you know, before you can go for a test, you have to have a certain number of uh, lessons done. I think it's 12. So, you know, obviously that instructor has a good understanding of the person's ability to drive. Uh, so maybe there should be some for maybe there should be some mechanism there whereby an instructor can certify someone while they're pending a test maybe. Mm. Uh, so there there are a number of options there and look outside the box is, is what you're saying. And and Jonathan in Carrigaline is, is making the point while he's saying delighted to hear uh, Councillor Seamus McGrath raising this issue. This again is back to an urban rural divide. If you're living in a rural area this is a much bigger issue than somebody that is living in the city or somebody's living in a large town that may have access to buses and trains, which is which is a valid point. It's absolutely correct. And I made the same point myself on Monday when I raised the motion. It, it certainly disproportionately impacts on young people, but it also impacts um, disproportionately on people living outside public transport zones. So if you're living in an area where you are dependent on a car, um, you know, to get to college, to get to medical appointments, to get to work, you're going to require some other family member to bring you uh, while you're waiting for a test. And that has an Im- impact across the family, as you can imagine. So it, it simply isn't acceptable. You know, people are doing what they're asked to do. They go in, they do their, their 12 tests, they pay for those. You know, they feel ready for the for the driving test itself. Um, and unfortunately, they have a long, long wait for it. And 
that's, that's something which I think needs to be addressed um, and it isn't good enough that it will be well into next year before that is dealt with. Um, so look, I suppose the motion is really to say, think outside the box here, try and come up with other ways of dealing with this. Um, I did ask that the motion would also be passed on to other local authorities so that they could also highlight this issue um, by, by contacting the department and the RSA. So look, we just hope they will take notice of it because it has a really, really impact on people's livelihoods. Yeah, because I know last week, the week before, we were contacted by um, a woman somewhere down in West Cork, I'm sure. Uh, again, her son waiting on a driving test. But she was making the point that he needs to have his full licence for when he starts college in September. Yeah. Because, you know, she was making the point that with the cost of living, she'd love the idea to be able to afford to fund him to stay in the city, but she said we simply can't afford it. So he's going to commute. But he, she's that there's no one in a position to be able to sit in the car and drop him up to the city and then collect him afterwards and that he wants to be able to drive him himself. So, you know, yeah. it can be, you mentioned the, the young apprentice, but it can be, it, it may stop people going to college. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, another example which I've come across is someone who, you know, was looking for new rented accommodation, had to vacate the accommodation they're in and they were more than willing to look at, you know, an area outside the urban area, for example, to go a little bit further afield. But again, they weren't able to travel to work because one of them was waiting on a driving test. So it just it just shows how this really, really has a deep impact on people's um on the way they live their lives and the weight that they have to, you know, endure to wait for a test so that they have then the freedom of being able to drive themselves. And you know, it, I suppose what's what's sinful about this is people who may be more than capable after going through their twelve lessons you know, well and truly ready for the test and then they're told, look, sorry, we can't give you a date for another seven, eight months. And in some parts of the country, even longer, from what I'm told. Mm. And so I, if, there are figures, I think, at the start of this year that there were 50,000 people across the country that are eligible for their test. And the majority of them has, have applied and, and others are in the process of, of applying. So you can see the scale of the issue here. And it's an enormous issue. And while they are trying to recruit more testers and, and more individuals you know, in terms of administration and so on, to try and move on the testing date. Um, you know, I just think that's going to take too much time and they need to do something else to try and address this issue. So and by the way, Seamus, do we know what is the issue uh, around recruiting testers? Is, are they just not there? I think it's, it seems to be, you know, the same with any kind of recruitment at the moment. It's just difficult. Um, it, it is difficult to get people um you know, it seems to be across the board, really. We we see it ourselves within Cork County Council. We're trying to recruit outdoor staff, for example. Um, and, you know, the applications are well done on previous years. So it is difficult. We, ha- we have full employment. We we have full employment. Because the yeah. other the other point I was thinking of, of yesterday, you know, we've there's a longer, you know, we're still in summertime, so we've got a longer stretch in the evenings, uh, evenings and we have weekends. Could there be additional tests made available every day? Is that something they could look at? I think so, absolutely, and I suppose that's why you know I wasn't prescribing exactly what I thought the solution was here, whether it be additional hours, you know, longer testing periods and so on like that, but I just said everything's possible. I suppose I just really wanted to keep the motion simple to drive home the point that, you know, the impact this having is, en- is enormous and we have to deal with it and waiting another, you know, 12 months before this is, you know, before there's a kind of a respectable waiting time isn't good enough. We need to deal with it as, as an urgent issue. So, you know, the debate turned to, as I say, things like the driving instructors that people are getting their tests on. And I think that model could work um, because they're professional people. You know, they've they've seen the, the driver on 12 occasions. They know exactly how competent they are. And I think they could have a role as a pending, 
you know, something that would yeah, be while the, Yeah, they, they still yeah. have to do their tests because I yeah, saw when you raised it, I saw when you raised it at council level that some of the other councillors called for that amnesty, like what happened in the in the late 70s where people automatically uh, got yeah. a driving uh, licence. But there's EU laws now in place. That can never happen again. I don't think that can happen as, as simply as it did in the past. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, just to give a blanket licence and to be perfectly honest, I would have some reservations about that myself in terms of road safety concerns and so on. Um, but at the same time, I think if there is a process in place where the driving instructor can give a... Can play a role. A, yeah, can give yeah, a certification, yeah. I think that would be a safeguard that I would be happy with, um, you know, where they could give, you know, they could endorse somebody and saying, look, they are capable of driving on their own while they're waiting for their test. Okay. I think that, that would free up the issue significantly for people. Yeah, so would well, cer- certainly that, solve the problems that, that, that people yeah. are, are currently having. OK, and, and just very finally, you mentioned that you're hoping other local authorities will do a similar motion. Have you heard from any of the other local authorities? Not yet, Patricia. No. We, okay. we read this on Monday at the Council Chamber and look, sometimes when we feel there's something of a national significance, we would ask that it be forwarded to the other local authorities so that they could agree to write also and look it just helps to highlight the issue and just make the case even further so yeah. look I, I've no doubt they will because I can't see any disagreement on this I think it's a very clear cut issue and I've no doubt the other local authorities across the country will also uh, follow through and write to the department and the RSA so look hopefully they get the message loud okay. and they need and listen well, well done for raising this issue because I can see a lot of, uh, of listeners are saying well done to you as well because it's affecting so many young people in particular Seamus we leave it there thank you for that and thanks for thank joining you. us bye bye that is uh, Fianna Fáil councillor uh, Seamus McGrath your thoughts and comments coming into the programme uh, Mary was on to us to say Patricia I'm so sorry to hear yesterday of the closing of the Wild Goose restaurant in Mallow I eat there me- I've eaten there many times always got a great welcome at the door the food was good the staff so friendly and helpful and the restaurant was always so spotlessly clean I'm so sorry to hear it's closing hopefully it won't be for long my best wishes to all of the staff says uh, Mary and actually we've reached out to the owners of the uh, Wild Goose Gym and uh, Noel O'Connor will, Connell, I'd love to speak with him because there has been a massive outpouring of uh, respect and love for the owners and staff of the Wild Goose since they put it up on their social media yesterday and unfortunately only last week I had Adrian Cummins on from the Restaurant Association of Ireland and he was talking about the fact that the VAT rate is going to go up for the hospitality sector and they were calling on the government along with the hairdressing uh, union to separate out restaurants and hairdressers from the general hospitality grouping and leave the VAT go up for say hotels but to not put the VAT back up for restaurants and we know it is to happen on the 31st of August because of course obviously the government are in recess you need to recall the government in order for that piece of legislation to change so the VAT is going to go up from the end of from the 1st of September it'll go up from 9% it'll go back up to 13.5% and the Wild Goose owners in the piece that they put up on their Facebook post were just talking about all of the escalating costs the energy costs the food prices everything has gone, gone up and the tipping point for them, the straw really that's going to has broken the camel's back for the wild goose is the planned VAT uh, increase. And you know they spoke in their in their piece online about how they've already had to put up prices and it broke their hearts to do that. And they just feel that they can't do it again. They can't look to the customer for it anymore. So they've taken the very very tough decision to co- to close at the wild goose uh, restaurant. And as I say, huge shock for people in the Mallow area and surrounding areas and people who would have passed through Mallow would often have 
you know, uh, come on, uh, turned off the roads if they were travelling between uh, Cork and Limerick or Cork and Galway and they'd have turned off into the Wild Goose maybe to have breakfast or maybe to have lunch uh, or whatever. So yeah, a lot of people really, really shocked. As I say, I'm keeping fingers crossed and would love to speak with one of the owners because as I say, there is a huge uh, outpouring of shock and love for everybody involved in the Wild Goose. So very sad. So I hate to see businesses close. Uh, I really do. 0818103103. Hi Patricia, listening to Helena who was speaking to to you about IVF and infertility. My God, when she compared IVF to a cancer diagnosis, this is outrageous. The shock of getting a cancer diagnosis is horrendous. IVF is not a life or death situation and more resources should be put into serious diseases and not into IVF. In fairness to Helena, I think the point she was trying to make and I have seen other medical experts say it as well that when a couple, particularly the woman, is going through IVF, the psychological Uh, and emotional feelings are compared to somebody getting a cancer diagnosis. They're not saying physically on the body it's the same as getting a cancer diagnosis. It's the psychological uh, effect of it. And while I accept, yes, IVF is not a life or death situation, if you are a couple really struggling to have a child, it almost feels at times the the emotional part of it and the psychological part of it can almost feel like uh, life or death to to the couple who are desperately, desperately trying to uh, have a child it's I think until you've walked in the shoes of somebody who's gone through fertility issues and has gone down that road of different fertility treatments and ending up I mean IVF is really sort of the last on the long line of different fertility treatments are available it's very hard to comment as to how it affects uh, a person and how it affects uh, a couple Uh, 0818103103 Michael says Patricia Ireland wakes this morning with the dark clouds hanging over it and it's not just the dark clouds in the sky the defeat of the ladies in green yesterday after they playing their little hearts out to the very end. They certainly did our country proud. And it was a learning curve for them on the big stage. But have no doubt they'll be back. They'll be back bigger and better. And then last evening, the shock hearing of Sinead O'Connor's sudden passing. It was just unbelievable. There was only and will ever only be one Sinead. She was unique. May her gentle soul rest in peace. That is from Michael. John in Cove, not seeing it that way. He's remembering Sinead O'Connor back in 1992 when she was booed off stage for ripping up a picture of the Pope. Now we've got everybody praising her and her music. John could never see any good about her singing. That's a, that's a personal choice uh, for you, John. And of course, the ripping up of the, the picture of the Pope that was on Saturday Night Live on TV back in 1992. At the time, of course, that was Sinead O'Connor trying to highlight the abuse that has happened uh, and was ongoing in the Catholic Church and she was trying to draw attention to it and, uh, yeah, many would say that probably the wrong way to do it, but she certainly got attention, uh, if nothing else, for it. And Claire says, I'm sorry, Patricia, but I'm found finding this outpouring of grief on the death of Sinead O'Connor a little unpalatable. Morrissey is right. Where were all these people when she was alive? Gay Byrne, Lord have seen him, saw her vulnerability, was always looked out for her. There's a cohort of begrudgers in Ireland that all come out of the woodwork when you're dead and you're all fantastic then after you've died, but they're busy distance, distancing themselves and shutting you down when you're alive, says uh, Claire. And she was a very troubled uh, soul. I mean... Yeah, there was there was a lot of people would have been given out about um, Sinead O'Connor in a life for sure. 
on the flip side of that, there was also a lot of people who really did try to uh, help her. I know, I mean, I've been following her on social media, particularly on uh, Twitter for a number of years. And when her mental health was really bad at times, my goodness, and some of the things she was putting up on, on social media. And you could see then that friends were trying to reach out to her and family members were trying to uh, reach out to her. But you are right that we, we there are begrudgers in this country who will always put somebody down and suddenly then in death, should they be the greatest person uh, ever. I don't know if that happens in other countries or whether it's unique to Ireland. But yeah, I would agree with you that certainly does happen. 0818103103 on driving licences that we spoke about in the last hour and delays with driving licences. Texter says, Patricia, I'm a West Cork listener and a learner driver who's in my early 60s. So learner drivers aren't, they're predominantly young people, but you've got older people, uh, people in midlife, shall we say, who also take up driving uh, late. My issue is getting the practice in. Everybody just seems to be too busy. I'm just wondering if there's anybody out there listening who'd be who'd have some spare time and obviously would have a qualified driver who'd be willing to sit in with me. Would anybody have any ideas of how I could get somebody to go for drives with this person in the West Cork area so that they can get the practice in? And we know in order to pass the test successfully, you do need to get the practice uh, in. Hi, Patricia. It's also not just younger people that are affected by these dry delays with driving licence. I'm a mature lady, says this texter. Uh, I did have a full licence. I need to have a full driver with me every time I want to take my car out. I drove for 25 years uh, before I went to England or while I was in England. And then I came home to find I had to do all my lessons and the test all uh, over again. Now, this listener saying, if you got rid of all the full drivers from the roads, the roads would be much safer because anyone on a learner permit are very careful when they're on the road. I know there might be some younger people who take a chance, but the majority of people on a learner permit drive with great great care on uh, the roads. And Martin Infomoy said the flip side of the driving test uh, is that there's a lot of people who pass their test and I honestly believe they're not able to drive properly and however they pass their test is a mystery to me. The amount of the mistakes they make is frightening. In Formoy where I live there are quite a few who have passed their tests and really haven't a clue what to do in certain situations. Some of them even drive cars that they're not able to handle. I had to tell one driver, now that this driver did have an end plate so they just recently passed I had to tell them to go through a green light uh, because the driver let the traffic lights change twice what what a laugh I'm wondering what life what were they concentrating uh, on I do wonder sometimes how some people passed their tests and that's from uh, Martin in uh, from OI 0818 103 103 and I've had an email into the programme from Mary Alice O'Hara Mary Alice O'Hara listens to us all the time in the States online it's always great to have Mary Alice she's of Irish heritage so she loves listening to Irish radio stations and uh, she has written to us overnight to say, Dear Patricia, it's Wednesday, July 26th, 7pm in the evening here across the pond and I'm listening to your programme. I'm moved to tears hearing about the issues on the streets of Dublin and on Cork City that citizens are experiencing with crime. The cities where the brave Irish revolutionaries fought for freedom for Irish citizens. The Dublin Post Office, the sacred symbol of the Easter Rising, the ever so powerful Famine Memorial and the peaceful Garden of Remembrance. Cork, the place of the birth and 
death of Michael Collins. When I come over to visit in September, I will not allow these issues shadow my joy and enthusiasm when travelling and experiencing Ireland. I look forward to being back and meeting the beautiful, friendly, welcoming people of Ireland. Perhaps the people causing the issues in Ireland should be sentenced to a stay in New York City or Philadelphia here in the States to gain an appreciation for the country they are privileged to call home with much gratitude and respect to call you my friend Mary Alice O'Hara. What a lovely, lovely email and we're looking forward actually Mary Alice is coming over in September and we're looking forward to her uh, to, I'm actually looking forward to meeting up with her because she's been communicating with the programme now uh, for quite uh, a number of years. Mary Alice, all I can say is I think the advice that came out from the US Embassy is is just to be mindful of where you are. I think like we all are, I imagine like you are in, in when you're at home in the States as well. You know, just be careful when you're out walking, if you're out walking at night, unlit streets and all of that. And I'm sure you'll be fine. And uh, we are a very welcoming uh, country. And I hate the fact that there is this view gone out that we're gone like the Wild West because uh, we're not. Uh, looking forward uh, to seeing you in September, Mary Alice, and great as always uh, to hear from you. And just on an update, on Dublin and particularly that American, that poor American uh, tourist um, who is still recovering in Beaumont Hospital. I've just seen the, uh, this morning on the news wires that the Gardaí have arrested two more teenagers in the attack on uh, Stephen uh, Termini. The Gardaí arrested two teenagers earlier uh, this morning. They're currently being detained under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice uh, Act and of course we know on Sunday a 14-year-old boy was arrested and charged in relation to the attack and actually they've the first teenager that was picked up. He's due before a special sitting of the Children's Court later this afternoon so there will be more on that story later. 0818 103 103. Bernie, taking your calls. C103 Jobs. General operatives needed for the installation of ventilation systems and general site work that's in the Malacork area. 086 083 a CE scheme available in Dramina Village. Duties will include general maintenance, repairs, caretaking and upkeep of village facilities, both indoors and outdoors. More information, you need to email Evelyn O'Keefe and Evelyn's email address is evelynoakeefe at dealvalley.ie. Four experienced and fully qualified mechanics are wanted as soon as possible, please, to work in Middleton. CVs to Mary on clearsautoservices at gmail.com and Kearney Centre there in Bally Desmond they're looking for a full-time deli manager the number to call is 064 775 you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103 you're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. And just wanted a text in asking us to give a shout out to the Cool Ella Camp in Castle Lines. All of the organisers, all of the volunteers who are giving up their time from 11 until 1 and they're helping our children with additional uh, needs and it's running Wednesday to Friday of uh, this week. Good luck to everybody taking part there. Cool Ella Camp in uh, Castle Lines. Now according to a survey out this week. More than half of couples with children say one of them has been forced to give up work due to the cost of childcare. The survey was conducted by XL Recruitment and joining me Nikki Murren who is the Director of Grocery Re- Retail at XL. Good morning to you Nikki. 
Good morning, how are you doing? I'm very well and, and you're welcome. Now, when a couple have to make that decision, and that's a difficult decision, would I be right in saying it's predominantly the mother is the one who gives up the work? Very much so. So we, we found that in 62% of the cases, um, it was the, the female that gave up the work um, when it was forced upon them because of childcare costs. And in many cases, d- did the, the mother not want to give up work? No, this is where they're, they're, it's not their choice. It's that they're forced out um, of, I suppose, the labour market because they're finding childcare is either unaffordable or they can't find childcare to cover the hours that they need to work. So in a lot of instances, we would have people working in retail and hospitality and in a household where both work in those sectors or indeed in the healthcare sector, there, it oftentimes is very challenging to find um, childcare cover for weekends or evenings. And so you know, both both um, parents aren't in a position to, to cover those hours. And so, the, so there's two reasons. There's one, there isn't the availability, but the other one is the cost. We know we, we're forever hearing about parents saying almost one full wage is going on uh, childcare and sometimes the one full wage isn't even covering the cost of the childcare. So I can understand why somebody gives up work. So does the government need to look at providing more affordable childcare options? Exactly that. I think it needs to be there needs to be more affordable options, but also they need to start maybe thinking outside the box or looking for more novel ways to approach childcare in Ireland. Um, because at the moment, it was there is some funding there from the government. Um, it, you know, there's really they're putting so many regulations on the childcare providers that it's becoming quite cumbersome for them to you know to 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 um, um, to pass that uh, saving on to the parents. Yeah, and we know the government have committed to having childcare costs over the course of, I think it was two budgets. But yeah. but I suppose for the families and for the mothers that you've been talking to, that can't come quick enough. No, exactly. And like, I mean, this is, we are currently, um, you know, we've surpassed perfect unemployment. So there is a real staffing shortage at the moment. Um, and, you know, so there needs to be a very immediate um, or a very immediate um, solution to this issue. How do we compare, Nikki, to other countries when it comes to childcare availability and costs? Well, so in terms of um, cost, we are the third most expensive country in the European Union for childcare. With, you know, in in, in Dublin and, and urban areas, that the fees often surpass more than thirteen hundred a month. God, it's it's, it's it can be higher or on par with the mortgage. Yeah, absolutely, it is. It's like a second mortgage in some instances. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. And I'm just thinking now of single parents. They must really battle with this issue. Well, this, yeah, I think I think what, what really, when you look at it, and when you look at the, the figure for perfect unemployment, that, you know, people that can't, are just not able to work at the moment. And really, the, half the single parents are, are falling into that. So in terms of cost, first of all, but also, you know, you're, you're ruling out that whole cohort of anyone who's a single parent. How do they find childcare for evenings or weekends? Like, there's no options for them there in the market, you know, um, because this is, you know, these are the crashes that we're talking about. But if you look at private childcare providers, you know, that's not going to, um, they're not going to be able to afford that either. So. And did you ask people about uh, crashes and, and weekend crashes and what was their responses? Yeah, so again, there's just so much regulation um, in the in the childcare industry, and and also there's so there's so much um, there's so much controls on them at the moment, and there's and there's a staffage shortage, staffage 
shortage for them also. Mm. So, you know, in, in, for a crash realistically to be able to get the cover. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. They need to cover an additional two days a week. It's just un- un- unrealistic at the moment. So without better support from the government, that's just, it's not a viable option for them either. But it's 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 almost like a perfect storm, isn't it? You know, the the creches would 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 like to be open longer, but they can't get the staff uh, to do it either. And and you know, we know, and it's great for a country that we're at uh, full employment. But we're hearing about so many sectors, Nikki, who are struggling to get staff. And obviously, what what you're talking about this morning is one of the reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we've seen, you know, over the last year or so, we've seen this this escalation of of staffing crisis again and again and what we really and, and why we, we, we went and put this study out is that we were getting more and more offers for and like I say it was typically females for females and then you know we specialise in hospitality and retail and when they were coming back to us to, to decline the offers it was because of childcare because their partner was also working in the industry and they were like look we're not going to be able to cover the hours that are needed and so you're missing out on that cohort so yeah it's, it's absolutely a perfect storm as you say and, and certainly retail is an area, I, I, I think every time you pass a shop, you'll see a sign in the window saying staff want it. I, I, I don't think I ever remember it being so, so bad, Nikki. No, and, um, you know, it's a knock on. I mean, there's, there's a number of factors at the moment, but I, I suppose this is all stemmed from COVID because we were given out those pub payments. Um, and so there was a, a lack of entrance onto the market. A lot of people went back to Eastern European countries. We actually did... The, the, we, the consumers are spending more in in retail, so there's actually 
a demand as well has increased. So it's just, like you say, perfect storm. <laughs> OK, all right. Listen, uh, good survey. Uh, thank you for that, Nikki, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Great, thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is Nikki Murren, who is Director of Grocery Retail at Excel uh, Recruitment. Just showing it really is a perfect storm. I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, we would always celebrate the fact when we have full employment, we would never want to be knocking the fact that we have full employment. But the knock-on effect of it is there are certain industries that can't get workers. And if they can't get workers, even though there are people there who'd love to be out working, but they can't because they either can't access childcare in their area or the costs of it are simply just too uh, prohibitive. And and it saddens me that anyone would be forced to give a work. I mean, if somebody wants to give a work to stay at home, particularly when the children are small, uh, you know, it should be their choice. It should be something that they want to do, but to be forced uh, to do it. And of course, the knock on that have been forced uh, to do it is the money coming into the household suddenly starts uh, to dip. And with the cost of living, it's, it's, you know, it's really, really hard to function, to go from a two income household down to a one income household and some people according to this study forced to do it because of childcare costs 0818103103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862103103 Court today on C103 A voluntary housing association is hoping to turn Shirkin Island off the southwest coast into one of the most energy efficient islands in the world to talk about the plans by the Carberry Housing Association. I'm joined by their chairperson and that's Jose Ospina. Uh, good morning to you, Jose. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, I'm quite excited about this project, I have to say. Tell me about these six homes that you are planning to build on Shirkin. Right. Um, the Carberry Housing Association is uh, a voluntary housing body and approved housing uh, association based in Skibbereen. Uh, we have for some time uh, been uh, developing uh, housing projects mainly to do with mortgage rescue uh, under the Mortgages to Rent Scheme, uh, both in West Cork and throughout the county and even in Cork City. But this is a, a new initiative, really. We have been quite aware of the housing, uh, particular housing needs in the islands, where it is extremely difficult for uh, even local people who can't afford to buy to actually secure uh, affordable housing. So we made a proposal to Cork County Council with the help of a local developer and a local landowner based on Shirkin, well, both from Shirkin, for the development of six uh, homes uh, in an identified site in Shirkin Island. Uh, It's a very nice site, quite close to the coast. Now, at the moment, uh, Cork County Council have given it the thumbs up. They said, yes, there is a housing need uh, for this. It's actually uh, two and three bedroom units. Uh, There's about six, as you say. Um, And um, we are now, having done that, making a more detailed proposal to planning looking at issues like uh, how the uh, wastewater is going to be managed and so on and so forth. And But uh, as part of this, we are proposing to uh, build on an approach that we've already started taking in Cork City and County with a European project that we are partners in called Red Wolf. And that is the installation of uh, solar panels, batteries, smart meters, uh, storage heaters, and a cloud connection which allows the uh, input 
and the output of the system to be monitored uh, and and managed. Uh, and we would uh, intend to do this as a district solar system. So effectively, the six houses would be completely fossil fuel free. That is, they wouldn't use the gas or oil. They'd be completely solar and they would work entirely on the panels with some input at low peak from the grid uh, if the solar panels aren't producing enough energy. And also it would sell back into the grid uh, when there's a surplus of energy that's not being used by the houses. Now, the, the district uh, system, if successful, would initially just cover the six houses, but would have the possibility of expanding onto other houses. Uh, so our hope really is that eventually other uh, houses, other businesses uh, would also take up the solar. We would actually find ways of uh, incorporating solar on other properties and gradually expand the district system so that it covers as much as the island. Wow. It's, it's it's really exciting, but at the actual building of the six initial houses is yes. it is it expensive to build uh, build houses that would be almost uh, entirely self energy sufficient? Uh, well, at the moment, if you're building any house, it's got to be very well insulated. Uh, yeah. the, the regulations are, are 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 quite strict on that. So, in any case, the houses are going to be very well insulated uh, by by uh, planning regulations. But what we're introducing is this additional system, which is able to produce energy and able to produce the heat necessary to both run the appliances in in the uh, house, uh, washing machine, dishwasher, dry water, but also it's able to generate a heat through through the storage heaters and then um, able to feed back into the grid as well. So the the, the only additional thing, in fact, is, is the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would we have made an application for European funding, uh, as we did in our previous project, Red Wolf, to fund part of the cost of that installation as a pilot. We we have the advantage of the fact that Europe wants uh, deployments like like this. They want uh, solar communities. They're encouraging form. people to do exactly. It. Yeah, They're encouraging. Yeah. So, yeah, we, so you're we, you're hitting at the at the right time for sure. Exactly. We think this is the right time to do this, really, when when people really realise they need to move away from fossil fuels. And, 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 and also, we need to generate, we, we need to generate energy. We, we but, need to make houses. And then, and, then, and then the goal would be, once these houses are built and up and running, you then look for tenants to come and live on Shirkin Island. Um, well, at, at the moment, we're, we're, we're not actually going that far. The, the, the scheme is actually aimed at Shirkin Island residents. Oh, OK. Who can, yeah. yeah. So it's basically aimed at people who haven't got uh, a good affordable home on the island or who have connection or may, maybe they even work on the island, but they can't live on the island because there's no housing. OK, OK. So, so there's people that, with, with connections. But I'm, just thinking connections. It's, but I'm just thinking it's a real plus for the local community. Yes, it is. It, it, it will be a plus in a number of ways for the people that, that get good affordable housing, no danger of fuel poverty, being able to generate energy, but also for the rest of the community to link into the hub. We're, we're calling it an energy hub. OK, a, OK. A, a solar and, what, and what a beautiful part of the world to live in as well, to be living off one of the islands in, in West Cork. Oh, I, I'm, the, I'm really interested in this Red Wolf uh, project. Right. Um, t- tell me a bit about that and how long you've been involved well, in the work that you've done with that. Okay, the, the Red Wolf was, was our first foray into this whole area of, 
of solar energy. And it was a, it's a European project, uh, Northwest Europe pro- program. We joined it uh, about four years ago when we first were beginning. And basically the proposal was, can you install this system of fully solar heating and power into homes. So we, we put forward four of our homes that were purchased under the mortgages to rent scheme, and they had basically residents in them who had been at some stage unable to meet the payments, so they converted over to, 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 to social housing. Uh, so basically they, they uh, lived in these existing houses, and we just proposed to them, well, how would you like it if we basically took out your boilers and we put in this system instead uh, with solar panels and uh, smart meter storage heaters? They all uh, agreed with this. I so imagine we... they all nearly took the hand and all off of you. What a great <laughs> suggestion. Yeah, so, so, so you moved into how many houses and, and, and did the Four. work? Four. 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 And obviously all the tenants now living in those houses thrilled. Yes. Well, they, they, they've obviously upgraded now. They've got one of the most modern sort of eating systems uh, in, 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 in Ireland, really. So, uh, yeah, we, there's, I wouldn't say there's not been teething problems in getting the system to work right, configurations and people learning how to use the storage heaters and the equipment, getting it all right. But, but we're, we're, we're practically there now, and so we've got a good basis there uh, for properties with the system installed and actually demonstrating. And I add, this is part of a European project of 86 homes that were done throughout Europe with this system. We, we've, we've done four. Cork Council, uh, Cork City Council, actually did a further 12. Okay. They've, yeah. they've actually got 12 flats using the system. And obviously France, Germany, Austria and other countries have, have, have got their own schemes with it. But it's part of a movement to, to introduce solar. I think what we're doing, we're pushing it a bit further in terms of saying district solar. Mm. It's not just a system for a one-off house. It's a system that would work better if you do it as a whole area because then everybody's putting energy into the same storage. Everybody's using it. It's a bit like a bank. Yeah. So you're putting money when you're, you're putting your savings in and then you're taking it out when, when you need it. But there's always a pot there And it's it's benefiting everybody in your district, in your local area. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. And how many homes uh, currently do you have under the Carberry Housing Association? We've got 21 homes. 21. And yeah, we are negotiating for a further eight. Uh, We're getting loan funding. It's always difficult getting loan funding uh, for these things, but we're working on it. So we hope to have a further eight soon. And then these additional six, once we get them built in, in... Okay. and other projects that we're looking at. Okay, all right. You're, 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 you've got exciting plans, which is um, fantastic, and, and we wish you luck. Uh, continue good luck with it, Jose. You're doing thank fantastic you, work with the Housing Association. Thank and, th- and thank you for joining us on the programme today. No, thanks Thanks for the coverage good. and the opportunity. Thank, good morning. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Jose Espina, who is the chairperson of the Carberry Housing Association. I just think that whole idea of trying to make an island completely energy efficient and what we can learn from that project uh, going forward. It really is uh, fantastic. Uh, we wish them well with it. 0818 uh, 103 103 and I can see people saying Patricia, how, how disappointed were was somebody saying Patricia, how disappointed were you yesterday uh, with the Ireland uh, women's team? Ah, listen, my heart absolutely broke for them but watching it yesterday and I did watch it, you couldn't help but be proud of them. They put in such a performance yesterday and they really really were uh, unlucky and what we can hope for now, there's 
one more match to go. They play Nigeria uh, in Brisbane again. It's next Monday. That is their final match. And what we can all now really hope would be fantastic for them to return home with at least one win in the bag and, and I really do hope looking at the way they played yesterday they really were similar to the first match I mean they didn't they, you know they didn't go out on the pitch and they weren't sort of you couldn't look at them and say actually they hadn't a hope of winning that match um, you know both matches it was really uh, really close and I was listening to Katie McCabe what is what an opening goal did she score yesterday? But you know, after the match, obviously she was gutted, and you could see it in her little face. But she said, you know, her message uh, to the girls at the end of the match was how proud she was of every single one of the players, and she said the journey that we've been on uh, to get get here in the last few weeks, the highs and the lows of the players who missed out through injury and through disappointment. But then she spoke about the match yesterday and the fact that there were sixteen thousand Irish fans. In Inside in the stadium yesterday, she said it actually felt when they were out on the pitch, they actually felt like they were back home in Tala. It felt like it was a home match rather than a match on the other side of the uh, world. Now, after they uh, complete their journey on Monday, as they say, one last match, but let's keep our fingers crossed in hope that they do get a win out of uh, Monday. They'll be back home then. And then the focus, they don't get much of a break, these uh, soccer players. They're focused straight away then will turn to it's the end of September 23rd of September because the girls in green will be back playing at the Aviva Stadium uh, for the first time when they take on Northern Ireland and that's in that inaugural uh, Nations League uh, competition and uh, Vera Pau said yesterday after the match we've closed the gap uh, she said our team has grown at this World uh, Cup uh, but beating these top nations that she says is the next step and then she referenced what Katie McCabe had said we will qualify more often for finals like this because she said this team is now too good not to qualify and I would have to agree with her wholeheartedly and they certainly did the country absolutely proud so fingers crossed for next Monday when they take on their match against Nigeria. 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls texts and whatsapps are available at 0862 103 103. Somebody uh, texted her listening to my interview with Jose Ospina talking about trying to make Sherkin Island uh, sustainable and uh, to generate all of its own uh, power and of course the good that that would do for our climate. Somebody says all this climate change plans and laws are all down to controlling people. The climate is millions of years old. The climate is old so one can't fix uh, the climate well. Uh, we can stop damaging it, I suppose, is what uh, pe- people will say we need to uh, do. Thank you for your text. Um, the weather road takes me this uh, Sunday with uh, John Green. It concludes the story this week of the German U-boat. Uh, this is an absolutely fascinating story. I was listening to the first half uh, last week. It really is. It's an amazing story. This was a German U-boat that was scuttled by its young cr- crew. It was about three nautical miles south of Landor Harbour. It happened back in the Second World War in 1945 and of course the answers to many of the questions accompanied unfortunately that submarine uh, to the bottom of the ocean and on programme two this Sunday John Green will speak to the daughters of two lightkeepers who were actually with their parents in the Galley Head Lighthouse when the submarine crew came ashore um, along with two local men of the sea John will pay a visit to the dangerous cliff edge and that was the cliff edge where the crew 
crew had to climb after manoeuvring their dinghy through unknown waters. And of course, they did that in absolute total darkness. So the story of the German U-boat 260 on where the road takes me. That's on this Sunday here on C103 at uh, 7. And bearing in mind that the captain of that U-boat was only 25 years of age and the crew were like 18 or 19. They were such a young, young uh, crew. Fascinating programme, as always, with John Green on where the road takes me, 7 o'clock on Sunday evenings. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. It is Thursday, so that means Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us uh, later on in the next hour. If you have a question for Jane, you can get it in. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103-103. And if your pets are developing bad habits and you've got a question for Jane, get them into us, please. 0818-103-103. Bernie's taking the calls for questions for Jane or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862-103-103. And tomorrow, Friday, we'll continue with ours to a protect uh, feature. And tomorrow we're going to be speaking to a marine environmental charity who are passionate about saving our seas and sea creatures from plastic pollution and they do that through regular fun beach cleaning. So we'll find out more about that on our hours to protect tomorrow at about at 12 um, or 11.45. Now some of your thoughts are coming in. Still getting in an amount of uh, WhatsApps and uh, texts in from people saying how bitterly disappointed they were with the news yesterday that the Wild Goose restaurant um, which has been open I think for the last 22 years is to close and it's to do with the rising cost of, of everything and the owners just feel they can't keep upping the prices uh, to customers that they just feel it won't be fair and they won't be able to and they feel they just can't stay in business. Very, very difficult uh, decision uh, to make and as I say we are reaching out. I'd love to speak with uh, one or both of uh, the owners about this uh, decision um, but we, we have reached out uh, to them but a number of, of people just saying how very dis- how disappointing it is, including this one says, very disappointed here about the wild goose closure. It's a great spot. What is our country coming to uh, seeing the closing of so many local businesses? Yeah, and it's, you know, from a restaurant point of view, for uh, for the for the people of Mad on the surrounding areas to lose a good restaurant, I mean that's you know people were very disappointed with that. But you think about the workers that are working there. Some of them may be working there for twenty two years. Jobs are going to be lost as well as well as uh, you know two brothers who had set up a, a business there out there. You know they've lost their business uh, as well. There's a, a lot uh, to be sad uh, about. And Anne also said she was really sorry to see and sad to see on Facebook last night about the wild goose uh, closing. She said always lovely food with very helpful staff. Everybody's saying that actually. Everybody's pointing out what a great staff there are at the Wild uh, Goose. Also, Suzanne, very sad to hear about the death of Sinead O'Connor. I didn't know that she had such a horrible childhood, the poor lady. May she rest in peace uh, with the angels. Uh, Suzanne, uh, she did, she, she had a really, really tough uh, childhood. I know her parents had separated and she was initially living with her mother and whether the mother couldn't cope with raising the children on her own, I don't know. But um, Sinead was always open about speaking about it. But I think it was when she wrote her memoir, Rememberings, and that was published just a couple of years ago, 2021. 20, uh, That's when she went into sort of great detail on the levels of the abuse at the hands of uh, her mother. And of course, her mother then died when Sinead was only 18. Uh, Her mother died in a car crash, but in her book, 
you know, she spoke about the experiences that at the hands of her mother. I mean, she described it in the book. She went so far as to say her mother was uh, evil. Um, she reckoned her mother had something about only wanting boys and that she never wanted uh, girls and that her mother went to lots of attempts uh, to make, to damage Sinead's uh, reproductive organs when she was young. She was always always saying that she'd damage her womb so that she would never be able to have children. And then she constantly spoke about being locked out of the house by her mother and being forced to sleep in the garden. And she said, you know, in one of the extracts in the book, she said, I knelt on the ground in front of the gable wall and I wailed up at the landing w- window uh, to get her to let us back into the house when it got dark. She said, that's when I officially lost my mind and became afraid of the size of the sky. She went on to say as an adult that she reckoned that's why she suffered from agoraphobia. She said, I still find it difficult being outside. I don't mind when it turns into black night but once the hours of dusk come I get very anxious. Isn't that so sad? And that was her writing as an adult remembering what she went through as a child. Yeah, it was um, it kind of can explain, you know, the troubles that she had and how often do we talk when we're speaking with, you know, the likes of Joe Heffernan and things that happen as in your childhood if they're not dealt with and if you don't get the help that you need it, how it can affect you right into your adult uh, life. Thanks for your text. Um, um, on the And on the closure of the wild uh, goose and the straw that broke the camel's back is the VAT rate going back up. Nancy in Bantry has an issue about businesses complaining about the VAT going from 9% up to 13.5%. When, she, when it came down, Nancy said, I didn't see businesses lowering their prices. Now they're all complaining because it's going to go back up and they're going to go out of business. But remember that VAT rate of 9% has been there for quite some time. It only got extended last in March. People were saying, oh, the prices didn't change in March. And no, they didn't change because the VAT had remained the same. But it isn't just the VAT. It's the cost of everything else has uh, gone up. And then somebody's listening to what came out of the news there at 12 o'clock. And this is a 14-year-old boy who was charged with assault in the US uh, tours. He was back before the courts again this morning. He was back before the children's courts. It can't be identified because he is a minor and he is he's yet to indicate a plea. He was before Dublin's Children's Court this morning, accompanied by his father. He didn't address uh, the court and uh, they're still waiting on the DPP because bearing in mind he was only charged on a Sunday and the Gardaí say they're working on the file and they asked the judge to put a date back to October. So that's what the judge did. So he's remaining in uh, out on uh, bail and he is back before the Children's Court on the 5th of October so we won't hear any more about that until the 5th of October except that we know that two other teenage boys were arrested this morning and they as we speak are being questioned on that particular case. Someone says anyone convicted of a serious assault should be sentenced to a minimum of 15 years in prison. The sentence surely would act as a deterrent and it might go a long way to stopping some of these assaults. But I suppose the problem the courts will say they have here, it's a 14-year-old boy. Don't know what age the other two youths are, but they're obviously underage as well. Whether they will be as young as 14, I don't know. Would you sentence a 14-year-old to prison? Maybe some would. 0818103103. Then I was speaking in the last hour about uh, women who've been forced to give up work because they can't either get childcare or they can't afford uh, to get it. And we were talking about some of the creches are struggling to get workers uh, to work. And I made the point we have full employment at the moment and there's a 
lot of industries that are struggling to get people uh, to work. Well, that has prompted somebody to say, good morning, Patricia. Why do we have so many people still on the dole? Why are they not being forced to take up a job? I'll tell you why, Patricia. There's no incentive to work in this country. We give out too many handouts. In many other EU countries, you get three months on the dole and if you don't find a job, then that's it. You're all on your own. My son was out of work recently. He was only out of work for three months because he made sure that he got himself another job. But he was speaking to a guy in the dole office who ended up inviting my son. They got friendly. They obviously were meeting up at the dole office. He invited my son to his 65th birthday. He was also celebrating 45 years on the dole. That's an absolute disgrace, says this texter. There are people out there, Patricia, who simply won't work. Those people should be cut off the dole. Give them six months max. We are retiring next year and I can hand on heart say, Patricia, we were never out of work. But isn't that incredible? Somebody celebrating their 65th birthday and celebrating the fact that they spent 45 years on the, on the dole. So they were 20 when they first signed on and have remained on the dole for all that time. That is just uh, incredible. But I think it's always been accepted that there are people who, for whatever reason, just don't want to work. I, I don't know how we stop it, how we get around it. I mean, if we cut people off, what are we expecting those people uh, to live on? I, I, I don't know what the solution is, but it's always been there. I think the current unemployment rate is, under, I think when it hits 4%, that's when we're deemed full employment. I think we've gone under uh, the last figures I'm sure I saw we've gone under that 4% uh, mark and many of those, not all, but many of those people will have been signing on and will have been living on social welfare for many, many years. Maybe as many as that man uh, 45 uh, years. It's just incredible. And then obviously next year at 66 he'll transfer over to a non-contributory old age pension and then will do out his days having never worked, having lived all of his life on uh, social welfare. So there will always be people and it's always, I mean, we've had full employment before and yet there were people deemed long-term unemployed. I, I, as I say, I don't know the answer to it because it's, it's not something new. It's always uh, been there. But I think it's... There's a lot of focus on it at the moment because there are so many industries looking for people to work and there, you know, there are so many businesses who can't expand because they can't find the workers. 0818 103 103. Charlie's in a bit of a pickle. He's after getting tickets for the Camogie final. The Camogie final is on next Sunday. Well, finals. There's three finals on. The first is, uh, it's on in Croke Park. The first is at 10 to 1. The second final is at quarter to 3. And then the final match is the Cork v Waterford game. And that's at 5 o'clock. But Charlie's problem is the bus home is leaving Dublin at a quarter past seven, seven fifteen. So Charlie says it doesn't give him enough time to watch the entire match and then leg it back to be on the bus for seven fifteen. He says the GAA are simply not thinking of supporters because he says in previous years the matches would always have uh, started earlier. And I suppose it's the fact that they've got they've got to get three matches underway. That's the different timeline. Could the bus, and I don't know what bus 
it, uh, the bus, it's, it's not a bus that's been organised just to go to the match, obviously. It's, is it a bus errand, bus or whatever? But that's a bit disappointing if you have to leave the match in order to get out to get on the bus. I would be hugely disappointed with that. And then Charlie says he went into Super Value this morning. He's looking for tickets for the ladies football semi-final on Saturday. God, he wants to spend his old weekend at the matches. Good on you, Charlie, supporting the ladies. But he says there's no tickets available. But yet, he said, they, they were able to offer him tickets for the final in August. He said, that makes no sense. <laughs> he might want to go to the finals in August if they don't get through the uh, semi-final. It's not making any sense uh, to Charlie at all. And Eddie in Mahon was on to us about driving uh, tests and he said, would it not be better particularly with the large number of people waiting to take a driving uh, test. And as we spoke about with Councillor Seamus McGrath earlier, some of this is still, we're still picking up the pieces and, and trying to catch up with what happened with COVID when there was no uh, driving uh, tests available. So that's going to take some time to get through all of the, the people that were caught up at because of the pandemic. So Eddie in Mahan has a suggestion. Would it not be better if some of the driving schools were allowed to do driving uh, tests? Surely that would ease the pressure on the driving test centres because I saw some WhatsApps and texts in St. Patricia, why can't they do the amnesty like they did, I think it was in 1979, people who had I think you had to have three provisional licences as they were then and because there was such a backlog they just automatically gave people a full licence. That can never happen again because there's an EU law because our licences transfer into other countries, you have to pass a driving test. So Eddie's suggestion and I mean in fairness to Councillor Seamus McGrath, he's saying they need to, to think outside the box. Maybe that's the way, maybe some of our our, our driving instructors, maybe some of them could fill the, you know, take up the flak and run some of the tests uh, in, instead. I mean, certainly anything. I think everything has to be looked at, Eddie, for sure. It's a good suggestion. Thank you for that. And then this is a sad text. It came in early this morning and my apologies that I'm only getting around uh, to it now. And it is from a farmer's wife who describes herself as a stressed out farmer's wife in the, go- in the, golden, in the golden Vale. And she texts us in to say farming life is drudgery. And she said, if a farmer's wife hasn't got a decent, sound, comfortable, spacious house at the very start, then she will never have one for her family. It's all due to intensive farming. The government have to bring back organic farming, says this stressed out farmer's uh, wife. She said, yes, I agree. We live on really good land, but it's our home. Our house is so outdated. It's cold, don't have a utility room, there's low ceilings and there's just six narrow box rooms and no shelter either side. My family kitchen room is at the back corner box room with the back door on the corner of that room. Unfortunately, that back door has to be left locked constantly due to a southwesterly wind which comes right into the room and it's always blowing in uh, to the room. Yeah, you paint a really uh, awful picture and I suppose there's just not enough money in farming to make enough money if you're a small-time farmer to make enough money to build the house of your dream. So she's saying to any young woman who is going to marry a farmer, make sure that you have a comfortable, spacious house at the start because once you move into the family farm, 
one house, uh, you're never going to get a decent house out of it. Isn't that quite a sad uh, text? 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Churchtown South Community Council, they've got their inaugural four-mile road race tonight at uh, 8. Entries will be taken tonight with refreshments served afterwards in the hall in Churchtown. And the West Cork Autism Support Group, they've got an autism event in Clonakilty GAA Club uh, Complex tonight at half past seven. Now the speakers will include a clinical psychologist, an occupational therapist and a play therapist. And the aim of the event is for parents to learn ways to support their child and also to give them the opportunity to meet other parents with children on the spectrum. Entry is free. There will be a raffle on tonight with great prizes with proceeds going to a local autism class. More details on the West Cork Autism Support Group Facebook. And Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lottery draw is on every Thursday. Today at four with a jackpot of €9,600. And all roads lead to Croke Park for the all Ireland Senior Championship Camogie final on the 6th of August at 5pm. Now in, in advance of this an opening night will be held on Thursday the 27th of July in Castle Road Camogie grounds at half past seven. Please get your players, coaches, supporters to come along and meet the Cork Senior Camogie players, management etc. They will also have a limited number of Kiri's jerseys on sale on the night. Cork today on C103. Okay, some of your thoughts and comments coming in and pet questions please keep those coming in for uh, Jane uh, Pickett our resident vet you can text or WhatsApp them to 086 2103 103 Micah says Tricia how you doing couple of scams on the go again I got this text recently purporting to be from the AIB not a customer of AIB so I knew straight away it was a scam but it does appear to be a new one and uh, Michael has kindly sent on a copy of the text and it's, I haven't seen this one before it says a payment was attempted from a new device if this was not you please visit our link and it's online aib-help.com but of course straight away when you see the .com you know that it's a fake it is it is a scam but again somebody who is with AIB might think oh my goodness somebody's trying to get money out of my account I might click on the link so please be careful and then Michael said he just got a call at an 087 number saying my internet security has been compromised I think I got the very same caller yesterday Michael do you know the one thing I'm thinking they don't take summer holidays do they these uh, scam artists they certainly don't and then on the attack in uh, Dublin. Hi Patricia, where is this 14-year-old until October? Is he out on the streets again? I think it's time these juveniles should be named and time for the parents to be named and to take control. I tell you, they will keep control of their teenagers then. This, uh, this crack that they can't be named, it's outrageous. It's time to change the law. The guards can't be everywhere. As far as I know, because he appeared in court with his father and as far as I know, he's, he's, he's at home now. I'm assuming there'll be bail conditions and he'll only be allowed uh, out. At, will there be a curfew place? Even though I didn't see or hear anything that I saw from the court report that I read while I was on uh, air. But he's at home basically because his, his father uh, came into court uh, with him. Um, hi uh, Patricia hang on there was more on this somebody else is making the same point that the, the John and Cove the young people are attacking people on the sc- street they should be tagged 
and the parents should also be held uh, accountable. A lot of people are saying that's been discussed so many times and, and, and I don't know if the government have ever looked at holding the parents accountable. But then what if you have a child who's just out of control and the parents are even afraid of them? It's just... I don't know what the easy solution to it is. Pauline McCroom says the government are only getting involved in this attack in Dublin. Why? Because it was an American tourist that's making us look bad on the world stage. These kind of assaults are happening every day in Dublin to ordinary Irish people. But I think it was the vicious nature of this particular attack. Uh, Paul, we don't hear people ending up in in Beaumont Hospital, this man it, look, is going to lose his eye and could actually be brain damaged. And well, yeah, there are attacks going on, but it was just the viciousness of this particular one. But you're not the first to say that the focus is because he was an American uh, tourist. And then some people commenting on the man who celebrated 45 years on the dole while celebrating his 65th birthday. That man who's never worked, he was probably born with a dole form in his mouth. And yes, we have seen families for sure where there is cycles of people being on the dole where you'll go, you'll see a household where the grandfather, the father and then the son or daughter coming up and, and that's all they know. All they know is to sign on on the dole. But people are just saying, you know, we have full employment and with so many inju- industries looking for workers, you know, how can we have so many people long term on the uh, dole? And then on the uh, high Patricia, listening to the listener regarding the person celebrating 45 years on unemployment benefit, he should definitely join LinkedIn. He'd get a world of job offers with that kind of experience. And then on the farmer's wife who contacted us, I thought was really sad, talking about the drudgery of uh, farming. And she's just talking about her housing conditions, the house that she moved into when she married her uh, husband and how out of date it is, how old it is, how cold it is. She doesn't have a utility room. The rooms are tiny. She can't even open the the back door which is the kitchen family room because of the wind blowing through it at all times somebody says uh, hi Patricia ask that farmer's wife did she marry for love or did she marry for a big house get off the stage farmers get the sun moon and stars handed to them and there are people on the streets get relieved I think that's a bit unfair I really think that's a bit unfair you've got a lot of very small farmers who are barely surviving barely surviving I mean if if she was being if this family were being handed the sun moon and stars then she would be living in the lap of luxury she'd have a fine big house she could have either done something with the house she's in or been able to build another house but there's a lot of small farmers really are just about uh, surviving um, there, there are large intensive farmers for sure who are making big, big uh, money out of it. And Mike, who signs himself the angry biker, says, pity the parents didn't keep an eye on that 14-year-old before now um, assaulting that uh, poor man. And then the dad can turn up and be in court with him today. No sympathy on the family there from Mike, who signs himself as the angry biker. 0818-103-103. Bernie is taking your calls. We're looking for your pet questions, please, for Jane. You can text our WhatsApp us now to 0862 103 103. Court today on C 103. And we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins us. Good afternoon to you, Jane. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let me get straight into a question that's just arrived in in the last hour to say, question for Jane, please. My husband picked up a baby owl on the road today because there was a danger of him being killed. Could Jane offer any advice on what we should do for this baby owl? He doesn't seem to be old enough to fend for himself. Thanking you, that's from Margaret in Dunamore. What do you do with a baby owl? Oh, um, so I suppose that's a very sad situation. Well done on picking it up, fair play. Um, I think the best thing in this situation is that will probably that little baby owl will need probably quite a lot of assistance um, and rehabilitation to make it back out into the wild. So I'd say best left to the professionals. What I would do is in the first protocol, I would most likely contact the ISPCA or if there's a local wildlife rehabilitation centre um, and they'll be able to advise you on where would be best to take this little owl on for rehab. Um, obviously, we'd love this little owl to be able to make its way out into the, the wild um, and fend for itself eventually. And that requires really careful management. Um, so I think first protocol, ISPCA, they'll let you know where's local to you as regards a rehab centre, but a little Google online as well can be a helpful thing. I believe some of them, there, there is a, oh, I'm trying to remember the, the website details, but there is a, if you look up like Wild Birds Ireland, I know that there is a, a page that pops up with the different rehab centres around the country. So well done, but it's best best to let the professionals take it from there. Yeah, yeah, because obviously it's it's flown out of the nest too too yeah. young, too early. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Um. hi. Oh yeah, this came in yesterday, so I put it aside for you saying, uh, from a listener saying, uh, what Please offer advice on the best way to help our beautiful collie dog when people come to visit the house. She sometimes jumps up, she plunges at them and she's slow to sit for me when I'm telling her to sit. And normally she will sit on command. Now, she is a very nervous dog. I do know that. She's three years of age. With with ourselves, she's absolutely fine. But there'll be loud barking and her ears prick up as soon as anybody is near our front gate. Now, if people outside the gate talk to her and reassure her and give her time, she's okay. But if other people just walk in and give her a stern look, I can see how frightened the dog gets. Now, I have tried dog trainers in the past, but they seem very rough with her. Not all of them, I must point out. I'd appreciate some wise words from Jane, please. And if she could point me in the direction of a dog trainer who won't be rough and who loves dogs. Now, I know the point on the dog. Whenever you watch dog trainers on TV, they appear to be quite rough and strict. And if that this is your much loved pooch, you think what they're doing is unkind. And I, I take it it's not. You know, it really depends. Uh, this was like like many things, there's a vast spectrum of different approaches out there to, to dog training and dog handling. Um, and I suppose the main thing really is to to find somebody who uses an approach you're comfortable with. Um, okay. It's your pet and I suppose you, you know them best at home and what they're likely to respond well to. Um, I wouldn't be able to know, I suppose, not knowing exactly where you are, I wouldn't be able to give a direct recommendation of somebody specific. But what I would say is your vet probably will. Um, your vet will probably know your pet well, but also know who works locally in the area. And I think most importantly, and I suppose in, in this particular field of dog training, you know, we want to make sure that we're we're putting our pet into safe hands. And usually that will be somebody who is appropriately experienced and has appropriate qualifications is really important because, you know, you want you want to make sure that what's being done, what's being done as regards handling and training of your pet, um, you know, is backed up by evidence. 
So I would suggest speaking to your own vet because they will be able to guide you as to who they might have worked with before and have a chat about your concerns about the roughness. And they might be able to, you know, align you with somebody who feel they feel is a, a good approach for you and your pet, given the situation. Um, and they'll get started on that. I think as regards, you know, the excitement when your pet um, has has newcomers into the house, I think that's quite a natural thing, particularly in younger dogs. But obviously it can become quite problematic and particularly if, if the pet is quite nervous, let's say you, you're saying with kind of the stern looks that might occur. Um, it is really a case of just gaining confidence, but I suppose, you know, a dog trainer is the best thing to tackle it with you in, in your own household, in your own situation to look at the triggering factors. But as a temporary measure, I think a helpful thing can sometimes be if you know that there's going to be somebody coming around and um, maybe whilst, whilst the person enters the house pop your pet into another room and give them a distraction so something like a stuffed kong toy so it can kind of help them to self-soothe a little bit and they're not overfaced with having somebody come straight into the house they can maybe listen from another room know that what the voice sounds like and then have a slow gentle introduction to the person who's entered the household and normally that will mean that the person who's entered the household will largely ignore the dog for five minutes and that can actually really help the pet to almost soothe itself and relax into the environment without feeling it has to interact with the new person and that can smooth things over a little bit but it is a little bit of a longer term project and I think you're dead right in getting a professional dog trainer on board but it's just just important to find somebody who's the right fit for you and who's appropriately qualified and your own vet will be able to know who's who's in your area that would fit the bill. Okay kind of relevant to the weather we're having at the moment somebody wants to know what do I do if my dog gets stung? I'm afraid when we're out and about there's a lot of wasps about and I'm assuming dogs and cats get stung just like we do. Mm, they do absolutely and I suppose very much like us if we get stung there's a huge variety of responses some people it just is, is an uncomfortable thing we might have a bit of swelling and for other people it might be a case that we may have a you know an allergic reaction to that um, and that can obviously have very serious consequences what I would say is that if your pet gets stung the main thing to watch out for is to make sure that they're comfortable breathing and don't seem to be under any pressure with their breathing if you do notice a severe swelling or any discomfort with their breathing whatsoever, you need to go straight to the vet, really. That's the only way it can be managed and doing home care for something like that just, just isn't really helpful or appropriate. It's an emergency situation. However, if your pet just has a little sting like us, it can sometimes just be a bit uncomfortable um, and it may just be a case of monitoring them. But if you have any doubts whatsoever, there's never any harm in bringing them to the vets. You know, caution in these situations can sometimes be really helpful because things can develop suddenly. So if you're worried, pop to the vet, let them know what's happened and take it from there but as I say the main thing to watch out for is difficulty breathing which would be a symptom of an allergic reaction and that is a, a panic station straight to the vet kind of situation okay. so it's a little bit different Alright Susan says hi my last cat went out one day and never came back so I'm after getting another kitten I've decided I'm going to keep this kitten as a house cat is it okay to keep a cat in constantly? Um, there's a variety of opinions on this. I think my own opinion and others may disagree is that, you know, that that can be appropriate as long as that pet has plenty of interaction with yourself and has plenty of environmental enrichment. So plenty of places they can safely climb up onto and scratching posts and toys to play with that will fulfill their kind of need to to stalk and hunt in a, in a home environment. So lots of play. So it is kind of a more higher maintenance way of keeping a cat, but also really rewarding. You get to spend a lot more time with your cat um, and really build a strong bond cats are territorial and you know i think the thing for them is if he's a solo cat in the household that actually makes it a little bit easier if he's going to be kept inside but just make sure he has all of what he needs as regard his resources inside so he doesn't feel his territory is lacking so for that he needs his food his water somewhere to toilet and if you're keeping your cat indoors and you only have one cat you need at least two litter trays if not three they like toilet options they're very fussy about that and that can really upset them if they don't have that option 
um, but also plenty of mental stimulation. And that's where you will you will you will come in as regards play and making sure that they have various, I suppose, surfaces and textures to sharpen their nails on. Lots of things to play with to engage that part of the brain that wants to stroke and hunt. So my own opinion is it's fine as long as you understand that it's a little bit more high maintenance and yeah. you need to fulfill those needs for your pet. OK, someone says my dog keeps eating grass and then gets sick afterwards. Should I be worried and how do I stop it? Mm, grass eating is an interesting one. So sometimes pets will eat grass when they're feeling nauseous because it'll kind of, they know it'll almost make them sick. They're very smart and clever about these things. If it's happening repeatedly and it's a new pattern for your pet, then it's definitely something that needs to be brought to the attention of the vet because it may indicate that your patient, that your pet might be quite nauseous, so feel like they want to get sick and they're making themselves sick to kind of alleviate that feeling. But interestingly, there's some recent research that shows that grass eating can actually be habit forming, so it can actually be behavioural. So there is a little bit of a, a grey zone with it. But I would say that if it's a new thing for your pet or if it's happening, let's say, more than once in a blue moon, it needs to be checked out with your vet just as a point of caution to make sure that there's nothing underlying it and to make sure it is just habit and not uh, an early warning signal of something being wrong. OK, yeah, it's a little bit like when some dogs start eating stones, it becomes it just becomes exactly. um, a habit. Uh, hi, this is from uh, Ina. Uh, could you ask Jane, please, why my nine year old golden retriever has started panting and is constantly licking after getting the librella? to help her with joint pain as she has arthritis? Okay, that's an interesting one. Um, so I think if you notice that your pet immediately after having the injections is having uh, an unusual pattern that's not their day-to-day -day occurrence, for example, panting and licking, uh, I will bring it to the attention of your vet. I think it's difficult to make a comment on it without knowing the full situation with your pet and their, I suppose all of their surrounding medical issues in case something will be will be triggering that. Um, sometimes I suppose pets can react differently after they've been to the clinic just because of the inherent stress of it. Although vets and veterinary nurses will try and make the I suppose the whole experience of entering clinic as, as calm and relaxing as possible. There is always going to be a degree of stress just because they're outside their home environment. And some of those things can be panting or licking, kind of lip licking as a self-soothing mechanism. But there are other causes of panting and licking that might be more worrisome. And certainly if it's becoming a pattern for your pet, next time you pop in for your umbrella or if in the meantime you feel your pet is in any way unwell and not happy in themselves bring it to the attention of your vet and let them know that the pattern is occurring in line with the injections um, it may be connected or it may not and I think that your vet will be, will be best placed to assess that just knowing their full medical history. Okay and that's an actual injection that the, the dog gets is it? Mm, yeah. yeah, so there are a number of different different treatments available for osteoarthritis and some of them are an injectable form and that particular one essentially it changes the way that the body perceives pain. Um, oh. So it's a really useful one, but one of a, a a, a useful arsenal of tricks that we have up our sleeves to, to help with pain. And yeah, and it's, it's huge. The, the, the pain relief for dogs uh, uh, with arthritis is, is, is really re revolutionary in that it can change the dog. You know, a dog that's been in absolute agony can suddenly bounce Absolutely. back and be fine again. Mm, absolutely. I think a lot of the time um, when they have good pain control for the first time, um, where maybe they've had kind of a slow and insidious onset of their pain or discomfort, I'll get a lot of people coming back into me saying, oh, he's like a puppy again. He's yeah. running around. It's, he's acting like he's two. Um, and that's really lovely to see because that means that pet is really comfortable and feels a little bit more able to, to be active in the way that they'd like to be. And that's a brilliant um, thing to be able to give them. So and there's that's plenty of want. options if you feel your pet is Okay. Safe. Have a good week and we'll talk to you next Thursday. Thanks, Jane. You too. Uh, Thank good you afternoon. Much.
afternoon to you. That is Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Just a couple of uh, texts uh, in. Some people responding to the uh, stressed out farmer's wife talking about her living conditions. I thought it was a heartbreaking uh, text. A Donnery listener says, Patricia, I feel so sorry for that farmer's wife. She sounds so sad and so fed up and she must be if she took the time to write to you. Why do people have to make such nasty and cruel comments as that man did? Life is obviously tough enough for this poor uh, lady. And regarding the man who never worked for the 45 years uh, of his uh, life, I certainly wouldn't to have no purpose in the day and no goals. What kind of a life has that man been living for the Donnery listener, which is, which is a good point. And someone else says, tell that farmer's wife that she could get her house upgraded with the help maybe of Cork County Council, uh, particularly if they're based in uh, Mallow. And help is available according to her income. She should do it in her own name and get a new back door in. Also might help to have new windows uh, installed. And actually that stressed out farmer's wife has been back uh, to say to uh, the man who was uh, very rude saying, what, what do you, you know, what, what did he say? Ask the farmer's wife, did she marry for love or a big, a big house and get off the stage. Farmers get the sun, moon and stars. There are people living on the street. She's been back on to say, uh, sorry now about that rude man. Ask him to give me a ring and he can call and see my homestead. That's if he has the courage to do it. Uh, thanking you. I've just seen on the uh, news wires on uh, Sinead O'Connor that she was found unresponsive at her home in London yesterday morning and pronounced dead at the scene. And a file now has been prepared for the uh, coroner and then it was her family after that announced uh, the passing and requesting uh, privacy at this difficult time. Uh, Poor Sinead. Okay, that's where we leave you for uh, today. My thanks to uh, Bernie Murphy who produced and we will be back with you for Friday's edition, the final one of the week and of course tomorrow and Friday are ours to protect. We'll be speaking with a marine environmental charity passionate about saving our seas. We'll hear about more of that on ours to protect tomorrow. Until tomorrow at 10 o'clock. I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a very good afternoon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.